Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik. This is episode 132 with Bryn Heddington. We chat all about acting and performance and creating your own work and also parenthood. You'll notice there are some little breaks or small human noises that enter into the podcast. And we chatted about it afterwards, and we wanted to keep it in because part of creating inclusive rehearsal spaces and whatnot is acknowledging that folks have families and thinking about ways that we can incorporate that into the work that we do. Bryn has her own YouTube channel, and we'll link to that in the episode description, as well as her Instagram. And please enjoy episode 132 with Bryn Heddington. to welcome Bryn Heddington to the podcast. Welcome! Yay! Thank you! We've been talking about doing this for, seriously, like two and a half years. Yes. It has it been was, two years. I was working mm-hmm. at the Dairy Center and you were working mm-hmm. on a show for Local, yep. mm-hmm. which you stole the show with your singing solo. Oh, like, oh my I just gosh. thought you were so fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I'm thinking that you're so fantastic at everything I've seen you in, but I'm so excited this full circle moment to like come around and actually mm-hmm. sit down and work on it. Um, so, hey, we were just talking a little bit before mm-hmm. we started recording that you have a YouTube channel and I yes. am 100% intrigued. Tell me all about it. So, I have a YouTube channel called Becoming Bryn Headington. I essentially started the channel to kind of play with YouTube to find out exactly what it was. Um, I had recently gotten married. I changed my name and I was thinking about starting a family as well. So being, you know, a professional actor, how do I go about doing that? And that's going to be different, you know, if you're a lawyer or doing something like that and just why change my name. I talked about why I did that. Also, um, how I did it and, you know, what it means to change my name and steps I had to go through in order to do that being a professional actor because you have to call your agencies, you have to update all of your resumes, update your website. I need to introduce myself to that way now. I had a really great group of um, women directors and casting directors in the area who gave me tips about how to do that which was very helpful. Um, Sylvia Gregory, uh, Christy Montour Larson gave me some really good tips about that, about sending out letters and like what's happening, especially starting a family too, about how to do that professionally as well. So I pretty much also started the channel to give myself a creative outlet. Even Mm -hmm. though I may not actively be doing shows, I now can edit. I can use Final Cut Pro, I have a camera, I just invested, I saved my money invested in that so that I can create content for myself and also feel artistically fulfilled even though right. I'm I'm like working from home like being a stay-at-home mom boss. Um, so coming up, I took a break cause I had the baby, Congratulations. <laughs> of course, thank you. Um, so that was a really special moment, but um, I think that I never thought about so there's all this talk about being like a stay-at-home mom and everything that comes with that phrase um being a stay-at-home mom you know maybe you're not um uh, i think the i think the kiddo is awake here i'm I'm gonna go back and then i can get kent i think he's just talking (laughs) 
Okay. All right. I'm not going to clap. I, I just love, but I love that oh, yes, part yes, of yes. it. I think that's so uh-huh. huge. Yes, like, that's I it. Love it when, I love it when directors bring their kids yes, into the rehearsal room. absolutely. Because I think we have this unrealistic expectation that mm-hmm. when artists, especially when actors, mm-hmm. have families, they sort of have to keep that part of their life hidden. Yes. And like mm-hmm. it can't disrupt the rehearsal room. And I think if we really want to walk the talk of being inclusive in our rehearsal practices, yeah. that absolutely has to include childcare yeah. and mm-hmm. that being part of that rehearsal room experience. Absolutely. And, you know, I've had, you know, other women, um, you know, not post on Facebook that they're having kids or, oh. or you know, or, you know, be reluctant to tell a director about them having a child. And pardon me, just one moment. Ken? So. Wesley is awake. <laughs> what would you like me to do? Um, I have a bottle in the refrigerator. Okay. And he's with the play. Um, <laughs> and and so they were. So there's this fear, you know, of like not not even having the kid and taking a break, right. but just having one and people knowing about it. Right. Um, and I didn't want to. So I took a different approach in saying, hey, everybody, I'm having a baby. Let's talk this <laughs> yeah. And these are my plans. And I even talked to people at the Denver Center. I, you know, I, I reached out to every theater company that I've worked with um, and at least had some conversation about it and that I still want to work with them. I'm taking a hiatus. I don't know how long that's going to be because that's going to depend on me and my family. And I just wanted to let you know that that's what I'm doing. And I've gotten so much positive feedback. Yeah. Um, I'll even give a shout out to Tim Orr um, for being super sweet and supportive. And um, even asked me to do some of the readings for the CU auditions, which yes. was really fantastic. It was so fun. beautiful to see you there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I really think that um, to be just upfront and honest about it. People are supportive and really cool. And, you know, if, um, I think as long as you're doing the work, when you're ready to come back, you just do it. And I feel like you can be stronger for it. And maybe it may change like the kind of roles that I take. Um, maybe I only want to do certain roles cause, whoa, I have a kid now. Um, or like, Hey, you know what? I only want to do roles that I want to do. Not because I need to feed myself. (laughs) It's like priorities are different. Well, that was something Jay and I were talking about the other day. Like this thing of, I think, unfortunately, sometimes actors fall into traps of, well, I just need to take the next thing because I don't know when the thing after that. Correct. I I think when we all start out, like that's our mentality and that's Mm -hmm. how regardless of what school of training we get, that's sort of the message that's passed along. Yeah. And I think it's lovely when you get to sort of be, I don't know, early, early mid, late career, I think that's sort of, that's so arbitrary and whatever, but yeah. as I find myself like getting into my mid-30s and being like, I think I can say mid-career Yeah. Now. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, the baby's here. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is an audio medium, and y'all can't see how adorable this child is. Oh my goodness! That doesn't that doesn't make the best airtime, but (laughs) but shout out, amazing! Uh, That just giving the having the luxury of really taking agency over Mm -hmm. 
okay, I don't have to say yes to everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also really love what you're saying because so much of this industry is maintaining those relationships. Yes. And so instead of mm-hmm. letting it drop out and letting family be the secret thing that until I get a hold of or yes. until like they're in school or until like mm-hmm. whatever, just being like, hey, y'all, yeah, this is what's up. Mm-hmm. I'm still caretaking these relationships yeah. and I'm caretaking my family. That's number one. Yeah. That's so amazing congratulations thank you I just I just hadn't even thought about that at all and so I think it's so amazing Mm -hmm. that you're creating the content what has been your favorite bit about creating this YouTube channel what have you learned about yourself oh I learned that I say um a lot (laughs) (laughs) when I'm editing my videos I'm like how many times am I going to say it? <laughs> I'm an actor. Why can't I speak? <laughs> because there were no lines. You exactly. didn't memorize the lines. You're lying on yourself. Like, Do I need to make a script? Because I'm like, oh, I can just, you know, improvise and it'll be so fun. And I'm like, I need to practice public speaking again because... I'm just saying I'm all over the place. So that's oh that that's something that really when I first started, it's gotten a lot less like if you look at some of my YouTube videos now. Sure. And um uh, see, there it is. <laughs> I just said I'm well, again. Now you're thinking now it's not yes, mine, right? Of course. <laughs> so I learned about that and it also helps me be myself in ways that maybe I'm not on stage because I mean I'm playing a version of myself but but how how do I like who am I you know as like just just Bryn talking about my life on camera for like everybody to see now I don't have that many subscribers it's me like friends and family and everybody who supports me but please subscribe (laughs) um we will have that link in the episode description exactly I've just taken a break, but over the past year, I learned how to use my camera. I learned how to edit. I'm kind of getting like a vibe, you know, color, style, theme. And now I want to focus on, great, you kind of learned how to do it. People probably who are my friends and family would be interested, but how do I reach more people with that? Right. So how do I take my life experience, what I'm doing now, something I can do with what's been called elegant ease. (laughs) love it which is just what do you do without even trying Mm. and so now I'm a mom and I also help my husband at his practice Um, we own a small optometry practice in North Glen (laughs) and so I wanted to think about this stay-at-home mom thing and I wanted to create a channel. Like, how do I focus? Like, how do I help people now? I did this, but how do I help people now with my channel and with my gifts and what I can do with elegant ease? So I wanted to visit hashtag stay at home mom boss because I love I, adding the boss onto it. Right? Like <laughs> stay at I'm home living. mom boss. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think women who are ambitious or even a stay at home parent who is ambitious, like not necessarily a woman, maybe the father staying home or something like that. If you're an ambitious person, like generally you have a high school, I mean, not high school, like a college degree or, or even high school degree or a higher level of education. And I feel like women aren't being um, 
they're not being prepared to take the break. Right. Like they aren't building it into their career plan. So it feels like this, what do you mean I have to stop my career now to take care of my kids? Yeah. Or sometimes it's more financially feasible for somebody to stay home. Right. And there isn't any, um, there's no market value for women staying at home. I mean, yes, um, there's value to it. And I think Washington Post in 2014, they did an article about how much it actually costs. Like if you hired somebody to do all the things that a quote unquote stay at home mom boss does, then it's almost... In 2014, it was $96,000 to pay for all these private services to get them done. And if you adjust for inflation now, we're probably looking at over $100,000 for for these women who decide to do what I think is courageous because, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. But I think for ambitious parents, I think being like a stay-at-home parent boss or stay-at-home dad boss, stay-at-home mom boss... I feel like it's empowering to treat your job or your position now as as like a business. And women who are lawyers, women who want to, you know, run companies, do all this stuff, who may struggle or or or, um, or it doesn't matter what their, their job is, but who may struggle finding value of staying at home can see that yes there is a monetary value to that there is a cultural value to that because you're raising your kids and not somebody else and granted you have to do what you got to do to pay the bills and that may mean you working and I totally support those women who do that somebody has to feed the children at (laughs) at the end of the day people need to eat and that's what's most important but if it works out for your family that somebody stays at home and you're the best at it which is ideally the situation then I feel like it can be difficult to do that and see and see your own value. Now, if you see it from a business perspective and you run the house, like you're the CEO of yeah. your home, we're talking about um, paying bills. Um, my husband and I, we have monthly budget meetings. <laughs> That's um, things need to run and be maintained. And so we're just talking about not just the physical upkeep of the house, but you're in charge of the energy there too. Like you can, like whoever's staying at home can change, totally change the energy, a positive, negative um, environment for your house and your family and cultivating that. And there is social value to that, huge social value because your spouse will thrive and your children will thrive and in return your community thrives as well. So taking up that pause I guess in your career is totally worth it if you can do it and if you work it out with your spouse and plan for it um, I think it's the best way to go I have a friend now who is actually saving to take time off and I feel like sometimes we're like oh I want to have kids but I haven't saved enough money for us to do it and I was so inspired by her and I was like yes you're so smart she's like maybe 27 something like that start saving for the next five years and then you don't have to worry about financially struggling. Right. You know, right. W- when you want to actually take the time off, whether that's three months, a year, two years, like how, how, whatever works out for your family. And, and I feel like women aren't, aren't told to do that, especially because they're the ones who are having the kids, like, like physically having the kids. Right. 
So that's kind of what I want. That that's the direction that I want my my channel to go to. Just kind of giving inspiration, empowerment, and ideas and advice to um, anybody who wants to be a stay at home mom boss. <laughs> <laughs> love it mm -hmm. I love it I, your face just is lighting up so much talking about all of this <laughs> and I have a sneaking suspicion that you've always been this ambitious kind of person is that right would yes, you say so definitely mm -hmm. so can we do can we pivot a little bit to like your inside the actor's studio yes. backstory Let's go. can you remember the time or a time when you were kind of young where you fell in love with performing, mm -hmm. you saw it as possibly a road that you want to go down. And I also want to say when you're talking about this, like taking a break for, you know, folks who may choose to stay at home as a parent uh, of any gender, mm -hmm. like this thing of, I also saw a study recently where it's like the millennial generation, mm -hmm. instead of it being this sort of uh, staircase or like ladder to success, they're mm -hmm. describing it as more of a lattice work, hmm. right? Where okay. it's like, we might yeah. go diagonally a little bit yes. and then we'll go over here. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea of building in the space for parenthood mm -hmm. as, oh, this is actually yes. my career trajectory for yes. a little bit instead of a, even a pause, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Because it is the emotional, intellectual labor of, you're sort of like the director of culture of, yes. of the mm -hmm. home and stuff like that. But yes, back to you. What is the moment? Is there this sort of <laughs> mm -hmm. someone coming down from on high and being like, you will be a performer? Yeah. I, I did plays when I was in middle school and high school. I didn't consider doing it professionally. Like I didn't even have a monologue until I was in college. <laughs> but I did theater, of course. And, and I think I won some award. Um, when I graduated and I, I just really like to create things. I feel that I think that's why I don't feel limited because I'm not professionally acting because I just like to make stuff. I just need to right. produce things. So I would create choreography in my in my basement, you know, I would do all these things. Of course, I'd watch Britney Spears and NSYNC, and <laughs> I would, like, learn all of their choreography, but then I'd do my own choreography right. as well. I was also a cheerleader in high school, too, and I choreographed our whole JV homecoming dance number, oh, which actually blew the varsity squad out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> and I just really like to perform and make stuff and get to do it which was really fun like outside of you know my room <laughs> right right and i really like to do that and you know of course i like to write and um really like to draw and doodle i really just and this i'm a factory of creativity it's kind of like flows out of me whether it's writing you know, drawing, like I won, you know, short story competitions, stuff oh, like that. I just like to make things. Renaissance woman. Yeah. So that's kind of where I got started. My first role was in fifth grade in our production of Lewis and Clark. And I played Benjamin Franklin. Amazing. And I had one line and it was, gee. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. 
That's it. This but like Benjamin Franklin does. I mean, ben, yeah. Benjamin Franklin was known for saying G. Exactly. So. Breakout role. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> That's amazing. So that, I mean, I remember our fifth grade play, which... This was how white and Midwestern it was. They chose a play about Harriet Tubman, and I played Harriet Tubman when I was 10. Yes! <laughs> no! Yes! Who else is gonna play her? I, I wonder what they saw in you that, like, really. That's Harriet. That's Harriet. I think someone who, was, who could project and memorize. A bunch of lines. There you go. But in, in, in retrospect, I feel like that has not aged well. <laughs> for sure. Uh, but after Ben Franklin, what are some... Did, did you feel like... Because I, I sort of got typecast as sort of like the character, older woman, mm-hmm. musical theater kind mm-hmm. of um, yeah. actor. Did you find that or did you sort of have like a smattering of all sorts of different roles like coming up? Hmm. I played a bunch of different things. I... Um... I was cast in roles, like when I started working professionally outside of college, I would audition for, like I would get cast as so many different things. Um, But generally, especially with a physical theater company I work with in DC, um, that's where I did a lot of my work before I moved to Colorado, was Synetic Theater. And I did a lot of dance and movement for a while, but this was a physical theater company, which I love. Synetic Theater, look them up. They do amazing, phenomenal work. They win Helen Hayes Awards in DC all the time. Definitely check them out. I worked with them for maybe about six years. Oh, wow. And we've traveled to the Republic of Georgia. They traveled to Mexico recently. They do silent versions of Shakespeare adaptations. That's amazing. And they just do music, dance, and choreography, and physicality as well. And I really love that. I really like doing physical theater and it's something I was doing in college and it just kind of continued there. But I got to play all kinds of roles. I honestly have not been limited um, as people would like to think by my skin color. I've literally not been limited. I've played everything under the sun. I don't know if it's because of my personality or what, but I have often been cast in in roles that were traditionally cast for white women, but I got cast because I guess they just liked me. So I've had opportunities to play Guinevere. Last year, I got to play Roxanne. I loved you so much in that role. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I've gotten to play so many different things. Uh, the show Pluto by Stephen Yaki, that was part of the National New Play Network some years ago. I got to play this awesome, dead high school. <laughs> vengeful <laughs> girl who comes back from the dead to kill the school shooter who killed her. Oh my god. <laughs> to get revenge on him. <laughs> and so it's I've gotten I've been so blessed to be perfectly honest to play princesses and damsels and badass Guinevere who like wields a bow staff yeah and to Goneril and our twisted messed up grotesque clown face version of King Lear like it was I've literally gotten to do so much and I I don't think I get typecast um it was super fun playing Mac Maxine no that's um uh, 
who did I play in Rape of the Sabine Women? <laughs> Cheerleader. What was her name, though? Oh, my gosh. Monica. Yes. <laughs> we were figuring I, like, out sounded like her when I said great. it. I brought her back from the dead. Uh, Monica, who's... Oh, my gosh. I was a cheerleader, so Christy Montour Larson was like, we need, like, some kind of cheer, dance thing. We don't know what to do. And I was just like, <laughs> I was born for this. <laughs> Can I please make up a cheerleading choreography dance That's amazing. <laughs> for this show? My dream. I got you, Christy Montour Larson. <laughs> That's amazing. So did you, go, did you go to college specifically for theater? Yes, I did. Amazing. I went to Spelman College. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. It's an all-women's historically black college. And it's the only one <laughs> in the United States. Wow. And a f- phenomenal school. It's, it's, it's a dream. It truly is a dream. Anybody who wants to go there. Um, and, yeah, highly recommend <laughs> Spelman College. But I studied theater there. I didn't know. I was thinking about studying maybe political science and English because I liked public speaking at the time. (laughs) And I decided to commit after, I think, after my first year to the theater department. Yeah, the first year I was, didn't want to be, was essentially a music major. I was in glee club and real glee club, real life glee club, (laughs) and and played the violin. So I was also in orchestra as well. So I was literally spending most of my time in the music department my freshman year of college. And I did the senior productions because, you know, the seniors in the theater, they do their own shows and students can audition. So it's an open audition. So I auditioned, I performed, met some people in the theater department, and then I ended up the next year actually majoring in theater. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Did you did you find since it was historically black women's college were mm-hmm. were there any like men in the productions that yes so in Atlanta there's the AUC Atlanta University Center so there's Spelman College which is all women's college there's also Morehouse College um, right next to it and that's the all men's historically black college so we're thinking Morehouse like. Uh, uh, Samuel Jackson went there. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. went wow. there. Uh, fun fact, Martin Luther King Jr.'s sister actually worked in the English department still when I was at school. No, she does children's education. That, that's what she does. She was still working there. Oh, my gosh. Which is amazing. So, so much history in Atlanta. And there's Clark Atlanta University as well. There used to be another school... Morris Brown, but um, they're no longer there. But that's the Atlanta University Center. We're right next to the men's college, so we combined the theater programs. Okay, so Mm -hmm. it was collaborative between the two. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing women come from Spelman. I just want to give a shout out to my Spelman sisters because I've never met more vibrant, community-engaged, political, intelligent women who want to change the world like I have met at Spelman College, period. <laughs> That's, I don't know, I say friggin' incredible. You're just, this is like, I want to watch the E! True Hollywood story, like documentary. Uh, <laughs> would you say that, would you say that they 
chose pieces in the theater department mm. that sort of spoke to that politically community engaged group of mm. folks or was it sort of more of a smattering of mm. traditional like undergrad theater productions I feel like we did do more black plays than probably a normal liberal arts school would do because simply, you know, we have an opportunity to do them. Right. And right. we have the black people to do them. <laughs> Harriet. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, please never let me leave that down. That's a, this is a great fun fact. That's a great fun fact. Benjamin Franklin and Harriet Harriet <laughs> I know it's actually the burping, but I'm gonna pretend. Yes, that, yes, that mm-hmm. was the reaction. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but that's yeah, that's so great. So we've done like lots of Thomas Wilson plays, like Blues for an Alabama Sky, Two Trains Running. We did Pearly the Musical, which was super fun. Of course, we did like Midsummer's Night Dream. I was working professionally by the time I was in my senior year, so I actually wasn't in any of the shows. Um, but I was president of the drama department, and um, and then so I was involved that way. And, of course, I was auditioning for schools, etc. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about the physical Shakespeare company because yeah. I feel that the thing that makes Shakespeare feel unaccessible to some is the language sometimes. Mm, yes. Uh, I'll be honest. Like, even I as an actor, I'm like, well, we're going to go to the annotated yes. version. We're going <laughs> to check out the No Fear Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't want to be the one who comes in that first day of rehearsal and, like, yep. doesn't know that you're supposed to say bad instead of bade. Right? Yes. And mm-hmm. so I think it can even be really... Mm-hmm intimidating within you know even if you've been cast in the freaking role absolutely what did you find that that did you get feedback i mean from both uh the folks who came to see the shows and Mm -hmm. then being on the inside were there things that you felt were revealed or uncovered or highlighted from Hmm. the words being gone yes so synetic theater was created by a couple from the Republic of Georgia, Pata and Irina Tkushvili. <laughs> so when they came to the U.S., they didn't speak English, <laughs> but they had a huge vocabulary of physicality. And synetic comes from synthesis and kinetic. Love it. Coming together yeah. for synetic. And Irina is a choreographer classically trained dancer but she can do hip-hop ballet um, b-boy style you know 50 swing foxtrot everything and pata has this film background but also physical as well i think he at least worked with um marcel marceau at some point so he do a lot of mime uh a lot of fight choreography dance choreography stuff like that our our shows were just a way to elevate Shakespeare, I think, because these are stories. They're stories that have been told over time. And I think it does make it a lot more accessible to people. There was a version of Twelfth Night that they did, and it was like in the 50s, but it was not the 50s, like the Roaring 20s, sorry. And it was a, 
a silent film version. So it was this swinging romp through the 20s, excess, dancing, um, making movies and film. So there's filmmakers and there was this amazing theme and some of the scenes where um where they're talking with um Viola and they have the um uh, they put up on the screen what they're saying for certain scenes not sure. all of them but to you know they would do the right 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 you can't see it right now but I'm pantomiming talking <laughs> <laughs> while the while the script is up and it was so brilliant to make these stories come to life in these new highly visual ways and I think Pata, the director, was onto something because it's so difficult to keep our attention nowadays. Yes. And with his film background, to see, when you see a show, it feels like you're watching a movie because that's his lens that he sees. And we're able to do all these stories and adaptations, not just Shakespeare, but we've adapted Jekyll and Hyde. We've adapted uh, King... King Arthur, where I played Guinevere, we did it on a water stage. So we were in water about this high. Oh my gosh. So we would, not this high, but you know, from, from, from the table to here. And we would dance in the water. We would fight in the water. We would, you know, uh, kill each other in the water. You know, we would use live swords. And it's it's a way to to reach people and tell stories whether they speak the language or not, which I think is really great. But there is a physical vocabulary that I think resonates with people. And I think they, they win awards for choreography or show on best ensemble, oftentimes, like almost every year. That's I, I'm really interested mm-hmm. in checking out, yes. checking out their work. Mm-hmm. Um, so what motivated the move from D.C. to Colorado area? My husband. (laughs) I love D.C., but I wanted to move. And I was considering New York, considering L.A. For some reason, I felt like I was a West Coast girl. And before I... I was saving up money to go, and I wanted to go visit Thailand because I was like, I don't know how to grow anything. I'm just going to go work on an organic farm in Thailand. (laughs) You know, like you do. Right, right, right. So that... I was like, I don't know how to grow anything. I can't grow anything. What do I, like, I'm, I live on the earth and I don't know how to grow anything. So that was my push to go. I was, I said, I'm going to learn how to do it. I'm going to do it somewhere. I might as well do it someplace beautiful like Thailand. So I got back from that. I was gone for like two months and I was like a total hippie when I came back. Cause I was just <laughs> like the earth. I was living in a bamboo hut and everything is growing and the earth is God and la 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 la. I was like on some whole other level, but I knew how to grow things and permaculture and oh I didn't have any air conditioning, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I got off that bus, <laughs> came home, came back to civilization, went to a wedding. One of my synetic friends got married and I met my husband at that wedding in North Carolina. Oh my gosh. And he's the cousin of my friend from synetic. And so we hit it off and he was like, hey, you know what? Want to come out and visit Denver? And I was like, okay. So flash forward, um, we're married. It's been five years now. This is the fifth year. Yeah, thank you. And... 
now we have a kiddo. So yeah, I mean, I was on my way to the West Coast, but I found something greater. I think I was talking to my mentor like right before I left Thailand. I was like, you know what? I really love acting. I love doing this, but I feel like there's something more. I feel like there's something more. And I think that I wanted to pursue love. <laughs> because up I just <laughs> got I just got goosebumps. When do we when in this life do we give ourselves permission to pursue love? I know. That's, it's so freaking important. I it love is. that so much. <laughs> I spent so much of my, you know, younger days, like I'm not old, but, but you know, there's, there's so much self-involvement and focusing yeah. on your career and what you want to achieve. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like, like we're dust. So what are we going to do with our time? Like I can, I can always, I can always, always come up with an excuse or put off right getting married like really investing and committing to a relationship with somebody and investing in a family I can I can talk my way out of all of that easily because of a job because there's always a great job out there there's always going to be one right so at some point you're going to have to believe in yourself in your abilities and take the leap and that's what I did and I took a leap I came out to Denver I drove down Spear Boulevard and I looked at the Denver Center and I said I'm gonna work there and the next year I was there and I auditioned for Colorado Shakespeare third year in a row I got in and like, I think um, they, they wanted me for, for, for some, some show the first time I, I got here, but I was too tall. And then second show, um, I got really close. I was in some final auditions for a role for the next year. Didn't get called in. And then, and then I got Roxanne and Rosalind on the third year. So, and again, I was like, I want to work at Colorado Shakespeare. Right. And I think this is my... I think technically it's my fourth year of actually living here. And I just have ambition. I have ambition. <laughs> and I've been able to make an artistic home, which is what I wanted to do when I moved here, and cultivate that. And I, by cultivating my life as a woman, as a wife, as an artist, as a mother, I'm contributing to my artistic community by doing that. I'm bringing something to the table by doing that because it, it informs everything that I put out there. So, yeah. <laughs> I just, it's all really re resonating with me. I mean, there's so many excuses. There's so many ways that yes. we self-sabotage ourselves and mm -hmm. get in our own darn way. Yes. There's something so powerful in like pointing to a building or pointing to a theater and <laughs> saying, yeah, I'm going to work there. Like, <laughs> The how of it is going to come later, yes. but I believe in myself as a human being mm -hmm. enough that, and I just love that idea too of like, by working on myself and by working on my community mm -hmm. in my own home, you are absolutely contributing to 
the theater, the artistic community mm-hmm. in here because then, you know, you come back in and you just have this depth and wealth of new experiences to mm-hmm. bring to any character you portray. I would love to see you direct too. Like, oh, cool. <laughs> like, I want to find that, yeah, what is that? Something very like movement based where you could like be a director or choreographer. I I yes. want to see that show. That would be awesome. But I, it, I mean, that. it seems right now you're creating a lot of, like you were saying, you are this kind of renaissance woman. You're creating your own content. You've taught yourself how to edit all the things. Mm-hmm. But what, my favorite question to ask actors is mm-hmm. what roles are on your bucket list of the plays that you already know? <laughs> and then there are some people who I love it. They're like, yeah, yeah my, the, my bucket list roles haven't been written yet. Like they're being written mm-hmm. right now by mm-hmm. the young folks who are hustling. But yeah. I just, I just want to ask that question to you. So... I'm not going to I'll say this how I think about roles and getting roles I feel like roles happen to me yes as opposed to seeking out certain ones because I could have never asked or thought of Roxanne <laughs> Or it wasn't even on the radar. Right. And I didn't even audition for her (laughs) initially. And she wasn't in my, you know, original, what I originally got called in for. Like, that was a callback. What I got called in for was completely different than how what I was cast. And um, although I... hmm, Never mind. But I think that roles happen to me. Like, I, I, I never thought that I would be Guinevere. I, I auditioned for, for Hamlet. And for Hamlet, Hamlet. <laughs> Hamlet and Hamlet. Yeah. And I did not get the role, but damn it if I can't do it now. Again, it wasn't on the radar. Right. And just to have the opportunity to audition for that changed my life. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can be Hamlet. And that was all I needed. <laughs> right. And then that sparks something else. And it was just a big like shift for me. And that's why I think roles, roles happen to me. Like, I think Monica and Rape Say by Women was a total fluke as well and for for me to be who I am and who's like in some ways a real life cheerleader (laughs) to be fit for that role so well and I didn't ask for it essentially is just it I mean it's part of the magic I think of, of of getting cast and somebody said it somebody said it I can't remember who but they said that there aren't any bad actors. It's people who are cast incorrectly. <laughs> people well, who, so they, who aren't I mean, cast they say well. That, they say that directing ninety percent of directing is casting well, and I, ab- you know, as a director, I absolutely believe that. Yeah, and I think that casting is this. I think mean, you're absolutely right that I've felt that I've gotten the roles that 
I needed to get at the time of my life I needed to get them mm-hmm. like and so I, I sort of trust in the goodness of the casting mm-hmm. universe whatever in that regard yeah. but there is something that's equally as powerful as you know someone saying well let me see you like let me let me bring you in let me see you yeah. in this role mm-hmm. And even getting that feedback of like, oh, I'm considering you for Hamlet, mm-hmm. um, or this this summer for me personally, getting to understudy some roles with CSF, where it's just yeah. like, oh, oh, okay, okay, mm-hmm. this thing of opening up possibility and how you even see yourself as a performer. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Thank you for that answer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like maybe not. You're teaching me some things. I'm like, am I going about this all wrong? Um, yeah. But I'm also like a big musical theater nerd, so there are Ooh, some roles where well, I'm like, it's, it's like <gasps> going to happen. Can I tell you? Tell me. Okay. My dream, <laughs> if I had the chops, would be to play Clara in The Light in the Piazza with. Audra McDonald as my mother. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that yes. is, that's more of like a, ah, that, like that's a ding, 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 ding. <laughs> like that's like well, now you a said magical. It. It's going out <laughs> in the world. It's out in the world. If you hear me, Audra. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I think there is something about musical uh-huh. theater that causes folks to have more of those like, for lack of a better word, bucket list roles. Yeah. Because there is something. Mm-hmm. They're so heightened. When you're eleva- exactly. When you're yes. elevating a narrative with Correct. through song and mm-hmm. movement, there's, to mm-hmm. me, there's just nothing, yeah. nothing better than that. It makes, mm-hmm. me, makes me a happy camper. Yeah. Uh, since we're sort of getting to the beginning of the end of our time together, I just mm-hmm. want to open it up for you, yeah. for folks who are hearing you and really resonating with what you're mm-hmm. saying about the performing and the mom bossing and the mm-hmm. producing content and want to be doing similar things to mm-hmm. what you are right now, what advice do you have to offer them? My advice to... Hmm. One, make your own work. Yes. Just make your own work. Get a bunch of friends together, write something, put it up in a bar in in an auditorium somewhere. You can always be making your own work. And just because it's not being produced by a major company, especially for young people getting started, one of the best ways that you can promote yourself and put yourself out there and even better yourself or to be seen, period, is just to create your own work. Whether that's writing, whether that's choreography, whether that's dance. Um, You can be Addie Mann. Is it Adeline? Yes. Yes. What she does with Shakespeare yeah. and her company, they're creating their own opportunities to work and be seen in a, in a way that they want to do it. Right. And having that freedom, artistic freedom, it's, you have to. Like, I don't think it's a, oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's like, you have to. It's the only way. You must be putting yourself out there doing something. I also say challenge yourself and something you've never done before. Me, I have vowed to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> Sometime before the end of the year, 
I've never done it before, scares the crap out of me, but I'm gonna do it. And I may be bad at it, but you know, who cares? I did a solo show in DC and, and um, it's called A Guided Dancing Naked, did it for the Cat Fringe Festival. And I hadn't, hadn't written a solo show for myself. So I was like, you know what, I just gotta do it. So I did it, put myself out there, sung, danced, won an award, and it was awesome. But I think you just have to create. You just have to start making stuff. Ed Sheeran wrote a song every day, a new song every day. You don't just become Ed Sheeran by like, oh, I wrote that one song and like now I'm famous. Like, no, he's been writing songs almost every day for over a decade. (laughs) Right. And I feel like that is... It's crucial, it's necessary, and you need it as an artist. Challenge yourself to just go out of your comfort zone. And when you are creating your own work, you give yourself a venue to actually do that. Um, Yeah, that's what I would say. Oh, yes, and mom bosses as well. (laughs) Don't be afraid to have kiddos. (laughs) The time will go and... And you won't have a chance to do it. If you're capable and if you plan for it and if you have a good partner and you want to, if that's your passion, I say don't put it off. Because if you are, if you put in the work, if you've actually put in the work, your what you want when you come out on the other side, not only will you be better for it and make your work better, then because you did something that was good for you, like good for the soul, and then then you'll probably manifest something completely different than, and do something you never dreamed of on the other side. I love that. That's like the perfect <laughs> ending. We're creating, we're dreaming, yes. we're doing all the things. Brian, thank you so much for being a guest on this thank podcast. You. Like, I feel we're super asking. inspired. I'm going to go out and do it all right Yay. now. I'm so glad that you came. It's been, this is so fun. Yeah. Plus, it's nice to talk to adults. <laughs> <laughs>